better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes podcast presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs, and Chris Schubert from the Draft Network. And we are your hosts here on this Wednesday episode of the show. Kyle, what's up, dude? I am so excited for us to be on Legends of the Hidden Temple. I was thinking to myself, I ask the question every day. What's better than this? Being on Legends of the Hidden Temple is the answer. Could could be. Could be. Listen, so it's for adults only. They're bringing it back. They've opened applications. We've put in our application as guys who have been best friends for six or seven years and have done a podcast together with over a thousand episodes and we get after each other and we're competitive and what's not to like. I just, I'm man, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Imagine seeing our application and saying, you know what? No, those no, guys wouldn't guys, be great. Yeah, yeah. No, my only regret is we cannot show them. And this is very fitting and topical for today's show. Show them the clip of you and I, getting after each other about the New York Jets trading up for Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round and whether or not it was a good idea or a bad idea because they would very clearly see just how comfortable we are with each other <laughs> and how much we bring to the table as far as entertainment value. Well, we'll get, a, we'll get a chance to, to cover that here today on the podcast as we focus our attention on the AFC East. This is the last division, right? We've covered them all except for the AFC East. And um, this will be fun to talk about, I guess, each other's favorite teams draft hall. So we'll go Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, and Jets oh, alphabetically. Same way they finished last year, huh? That's cool. Is, is that how it – yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it is. Chris, you'll have to wait a little bit. Sorry. We'll get there. We'll That's get all there. right. We'll get there, Chris. It's good. Okay. We'll start with the Bills. Uh, Joe, would, would you like to do the honors for your draft class? Yeah, the, the Buffalo Bills at pick 30. Gregory Rousseau, defensive end from Miami. At 61, they go with another defensive end, Carlos Basham Jr. from Wake Forest. At 93, Spencer Brown, offensive tackle from Northern Illinois. At 161, another offensive tackle, Tommy Doyle from Miami of Ohio. At 203, wide receiver Marquez Stevenson from Houston. 212, DeMar Hamlin from Pitt, a safety. 213, Rashad Wild Goose Jr., a corner from Wisconsin. And at 236, offensive lineman, a guard out of Texas Tech by the name of Jack Anderson. Your thoughts on this class, Joe, as uh, somebody who had three top 100 picks and then a long wait yeah. uh, until you could, could pick again. You had to wait until round five, and uh, that was the only other pick that you had in the top 200. So you, yeah. you kind of – had to wait your turn in each of the first three rounds, then a long gap, and just kind of curious how you, you thought you guys did. Yeah, with that fourth-round pick not being there, the Bills are finally done paying for Stefan Diggs. But, um, you know, look, I think what Brandon Bean did here was he said, all right, well, we couldn't, we couldn't beat the Chiefs. And big reason why we couldn't beat the Chiefs and weren't competitive in two games against the Chiefs was because we couldn't affect Patrick Mahomes. We couldn't get after him with our pass rush. So you saw him go and add a high upside player in, in Gregory Rousseau, albeit a raw player, one that, you know, in 2019 had the makings of an even higher selection. And then 
Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest, who was very consistent for the last couple of years for the Demon Deacons. And he was a concerted effort with those two picks to say, hey, the reason that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat Patrick Mahomes was obviously had a lot to do with Tom Brady, but it was because they could harass him. They could get after him in ways that the Bills couldn't. And then on the flip side of that, his next two picks are these offensive tackles, Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle. And you look at the Bills offensive tackle situation, and you look at Deion Dawkins on the left side, Daryl Williams on the right side. Those guys are both signed for the next three seasons at least together. They didn't have a glaring needed offensive tackle. But if you look at a reason why Kansas City was so ineffective at blocking Tampa Bay, it's because their offensive tackles were hurt, right? Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, those guys were hurt. And then you think about some of the other contenders last year, whether it was Taylor Luan in Tennessee, Ronnie Stanley with the Baltimore Ravens, David Bakhtiari with the Green Bay Packers, and of course the Chiefs, who were without Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher in the Super Bowl, you know, those were those were limiting factors for those teams. So I think what Brandon Bean said here is, I want pass rush, and I want to make sure that our offensive tackle depth doesn't get depleted. And you saw a very concerted effort with these four picks to address those uh, those items there. And then just to, I guess I'll finish my monologue here. In, in the day three picks, you have Marquez Stevenson, who is a natural fit to replace Andre Roberts at kick returner what I thought was the Bills' most significant loss this offseason. The other significant loss I think the Bills had was DeMar- was at uh, safety where Dean Marlowe uh, plays about 25-30% of the snaps for the Bills' defense. They get DeMar Hamlin out of pit that could come in and, and kind of replace that role. Um, and so, you know, Rashad Wild, Goose Developmental Corner, and Jack Anderson, I don't know that he'll make the team, but uh, I think that's the vision here, right? That's what Brandon Bean had in mind when he assembled this draft class. How many do you use? Do you think everybody makes the team? Mm-mm. No, um, I don't think Anderson has a chance of making a team. And I don't, I, Wild Goose is going to be tough. The Bills typically keep five corners and he'd have to beat out a couple of guys that typically make the team for him to earn a spot. And I think he only started like 17 games for Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, kind of an experienced. Inexperienced. I think he'll be on the Dane Jackson plan, put him on the practice squad this year, maybe get a few call-ups. If he looks good, you know, he'll be in the running for a bigger role next year. But uh, I don't I don't know that Wild Goose or Anderson are, are going to be rostered. So you could say his efforts to secure a 53-man roster spot might be a Wild Goose chase? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You were just sitting on that. You were waiting the whole time. You were just waiting. Uh, but you think like Tommy Doyle and DeMar Hamlin and Marquez Stevenson make the team? I do. Yeah, I think I think for sure Hamlin, um, the only backup safety they have to hide in Poyer is Jaquan Johnson. I think he's definitely going to be safety for Stevenson is wide receiver six is the kick returner and kind of a space player that uh, they can get the ball vertically to. I don't think they necessarily have that type of player, so that'll help. And, and Doyle, um, you know, there's some ties to him. Uh, within the organization, and I think they're going to like him as uh, as the uh, the fourth offensive tackle. I think he's probably of those three that you just mentioned, the least likely. Like he doesn't have the clearest mm-hmm. path, but I think mm-hmm. they're going to want to hold on to his, you know, that size and athleticism combination that he brings to the table. You have any regrets about this class? I think this is especially for today's show because each one of us has a representation as far as a rooting interest in three of the four teams it's not fair for us to get into the other teams across the league and be like, yeah, my regret for this team is da, 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 da. Yeah. But like you knew what you want, wanted going in. Yeah. Do you have any I, regrets on how they chose to tackle? 
I, I didn't get the things that I wanted. And I, I'll fully acknowledge that the, the two things that I thought were the most critical things for the bills to look at in this draft was that cornerback where, you know, Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson are competing for that job opposite of Tredavious white. And look for as much as I've clamored for the bills to make an investment at that CB two, it's just not what McDermott does. He's never done that. Not in Buffalo, not in Carolina. It's been a, a stud player, whether it was Chris Gamble or Josh Norman at the time or Tredavious White, and then a get-by guy. And it's working for him, right? I mean, he's got a long history of coaching top-tier pass defenses with a get-by guy at CB2. And so I can sit here for the next a million, you know, however long McDermott's running this team and, and say, I, I want them to make a meaningful investment at CB2, but I, it's just not what he does. And so I think it's foolish at this point for me to expect it to happen. Although I, I would certainly appreciate that to be the case because I think he can have an even better secondary. If you were to make this investment in a guy with, you know, top tier athleticism to be able to run a little bit more man coverage. Um, the other thing that I thought was a critical need for the bills was that defensive tackle where, you know, you add Oliver in year three, I think there's high expectations that he can um, take a step. And obviously he won't have to play as much one tech this year with Starla Tulele being back, but Starla Tulele kind of an average one tech to begin with. He's coming back after opting out of a, of the season due to COVID uh, you know, what's he going to be like this year? And then the depth behind him is Harrison Phillips, who, you know, I think he's had some flashes, but for the most point, he's been a below average player and Vernon Butler, who's been a disappointment since he's been, since he's been drafted, you know? So I thought the defensive tackle spot was was one where I was hoping to see an investment. I think they envision a lot of these guys reducing and playing inside, you know, like Russo, Epinesa last year, second-round pick, Basham, all guys that you think can play on the interior a little bit. But um, I, I was more hopeful that the Bills would come away with a, an earlier investment at cornerback and some investment at defensive tackle. I guess my question for you, Kyle, is, is – I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this podcast today that have heard me talk about the Bills draft class a lot. Yeah. You know, and, and would want would like to hear your thoughts on on uh what Buffalo did and their efforts to uh stay atop the AFC East and close the gap on the Chiefs. Well, it's like what do you it's kind of the same conversation that you had with Tampa Bay. What do you get the team that brought everything back from last year's team that won 13 games, right? And like one of the games that they lost was a miracle fluke against Arizona like very easily could have been a 14, 14 win team last yeah. year before the yeah. playoffs even rolled around. So like, what do you get that team? And, and so often attrition comes hard and fast for those teams that have those glow ups like that. And it did not yeah. for Buffalo. So I appreciate the thought process of drafting for 2022, which is almost effectively what they've done uh, with their early selections of Rousseau and Basham. I'm sure those guys will be in a rotation and, there's no such thing as too many pass rushers. I do think it is an interesting uh, strategy for Buffalo, though, where the, with all of the debate that is out there right now between coverage versus pass rush and what has the most value, Sean McDermott is very clearly telling you what he thinks the answer yeah. is, right? Yeah. And he and Brandon Bean, uh, you've, you've said, referred to their CB2, not CB4, like not, not the rotational <laughs> guy. CB2 is right. a get-by guy. Yeah. So, like – I, I just think that's the most fascinating part of the Bills roster construction and for them to punt on corner uh, until 213. Uh, and that was Rashad Wild Goose, who in my opinion is going to be a slot anyway, is really fascinating. But, you know, I liked Gregory Rousseau before the draft. I talked about you'd stack him up to 280 and be willing to play him inside. And 
Uh, you, you'd probably have the most success there. Uh, Carlos Basham, I liked it, is kind of the Shaq Lawson type, which they had a mold for. So uh, I, I think they got appropriate value and they got good players. Uh, it's just really going to be a question of, is there a different direction they could have gone to try and put them over the top this year? Because that's always kind of like you feel like, okay, we're on the clock now. We won 13 games last year. Josh, we got to play Josh Allen here in the near future. Like we can work with the cap and over a couple year window, but like what was the change that Buffalo added to push them beyond what they were last year? And that's my question with draft class. Yeah, I think it's a fair question. Um, I've said for a while that the most meaningful thing that's going to happen for the Bills to put them over the top is young players that are already on the roster reaching their ceiling, whether that's Ed Oliver or Cody Ford or Dawson Knox or even Tremaine Edmonds. Um, those types of players, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, those, those players realizing their ceiling and improving like other young players have for this team, you know, like a Matt Milano or a Josh Allen or a Deion Dawkins or a Trey White, you know, that, that they get to that point where they become those difference makers. I think the Bills need a couple of those guys to reach their ceiling this year. And, you know, not to go into like a whole nother segment here, but I, I think you can look at it one of two ways in terms of, well, did they do everything that they could to maximize their opportunity to, to go compete for a Super Bowl championship this year? Was it smarter to do that or try to make moves that keeps your window open for longer, right? Like for as long as possible. And I think the Bills sided more with the latter. And Brandon Bean has said in the press conferences following the draft that, he says teams are really never one player away unless it's a, a quarterback, especially, you know, when you're talking about it being a rookie. And so I think that's, that's how he chose to embrace this. And, you know, I think whether it's injuries or just playing your best football, it's at the right times of the season, you know, there's a little bit of luck involved in maximizing those Super Bowl windows. And I think Brandon Bean, what he's decided to do here is, Hey, I want to keep this window open for as long as possible. Hey, football fans, listen up. Nugenics, the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC, is offering a complimentary bottle to all football fans in America. To get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics, text DRAFT to 231231. This unique man-boosting formula is powered by Testafin, which helps boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels and increase energy and lean muscle mass. Plus, text now, and they'll include a bottle of Nugenics Thermo their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get back in the shape of your life absolutely free. Text DRAFT to 231231. That's DRAFT to 231231. Message and data rates may apply. It's time to talk about the Miami Dolphins. That's right. You want to sing it or should we move on from that? This is weird because you – you feel like how I felt last year about Miami's draft class. I was going to trust whatever decision they went at quarterback, but I wasn't particularly fond of the idea of Austin Jackson in the top 20. I was hoping for a running back there in the, the, you know, either at 30 or 39, they went with more offensive linemen another corner, despite the fact that they signed Byron Jones. And it's like, okay, like, it's not the vision I had at all for my off season. That's okay. You know, we'll, they'll yeah. make it work. Right. This time around, I got almost everything that I had laid out as far as what an ideal draft would look like from my point of view and perspective, or there's a couple of tweaks that I would make maybe, 
Uh, but the Dolphins, they drafted at six wide receiver Jalen Waddle from Alabama. Uh, at 18, defensive end Jalen Phillips from the University of Miami. At 36, safety Javon Holland from Oregon. At 42, offensive lineman Liam Eichenberg in a trade up. 81, tight end Hunter Long from Boston College. A uh, 150 pick gap. And then offensive tackle Larnell Coleman from UMass. And then at 244, running back Jared Dokes from Cincinnati. So if you just kind of look across the board, Joe, the way we have it color-coded, right? You have our the colors that are affiliated with each of the grades that we assign. Um, and then when you have the columns that are the pick range that the pick was made in, it has the corresponding color as well. Uh, Miami, with their first pick, got equal value to the top 10 evaluation that we gave Jalen Waddell. Jalen Phillips, we had a first round grade on. We had second round grades on Holland and Eichenberg. We had a third round grade on Hunter Long. And then we actually had a fifth round grade on Jared Dokes. And we watched but did not formally write up Larnell Coleman, who they picked at 231. Uh, Chris Greer, TDN Premium subscriber, clearly. Uh, Thank you for your business. Locked on Dolphins listener as well. Yeah, um, surely. <laughs> so I, I think the thing that's most prominent to me with this class uh, is the first three picks and the fact that they picked difference makers. They make explosive players. They play, pick players that make game-changing plays. The, the Dolphins are a team that last year was hard-nosed and physical and disciplined and didn't beat themselves and didn't really turn the ball over, and they were opportunistic, and they were smart and intelligent, uh, and they were young, but they didn't have guys that could turn a game on its head other than Zaven Howard in the, in the secondary. Um, so you draft Jalen Waddle, create explosive plays. You pair that with Will Fuller and what that's going to look like. Jalen Phillips, the best pass rusher in the class, what he's able to do as a pass rusher at the, the most, arguably the most premier position uh, on the defensive side of the football, football, Javon Holland sat out 2020, but had, had nine interceptions and I think close to 30 total passes defense when you include pass breakups over the course of his two years as a starter at Oregon. Uh, he played 2018 predominantly as a high safety, and then in 2020 was down in the nickel, hybrid linebacker on the line of scrimmage, a little bit of deep post stuff uh, all over the place. Uh, Liam Eikenberg hadn't given up a sack since 2018. And I think he's a player who's a little bit more of an exception to the rule versus what we've seen Miami trend towards. Typically uh, I am a little interested in where they're going to try and play him. Uh, it seems as though right tackle is going to be the spot. Uh, but if he's pa- pass protecting to a tongue of blind blindside, and you are going to you know, take on some concepts with your speed receivers that are going to require you to hold the ball a little bit longer uh, to push the ball vertically down the field. I think Eichenberg and uh, his high floor, his technique, uh, I think those things are really valuable. He's, he's not an infallible offensive tackle prospect, but he generally got the job done, and he was blocking for Ian Book, which is a really hard job because you never knew where Ian Book was going to end up releasing the ball from on an even play there at Notre Dame. Uh, and then Hunter Long is the most fascinating one for me because everybody was like, oh, this is the running back. If you don't get one of the big three, you know, maybe come back at 81. They just don't care. They're not going to force it. They like Miles Gaskin. 
They like Malcolm Brown, who they signed this offseason, mm-hmm. who was with the Rams. Uh, they get Jared Dokes in the seventh round. And I'm super excited about the Hunter Long pick because it means more 12 personnel, which was where this offense was at at best. So, you know, I'm envisioning an offense that has Hunter Long and Mike Gusecki as your two tight ends. You've got whoever playing in the backfield as the pass ca- or the, the running back. And then you've got Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle on the field at the same time. And so you've got size in the middle of the field. You've got speed on the perimeter. What that's going to be able to do to lift coverage, if you put them on the same side. Like, I'm just really excited to see how different this offense looks like versus, uh, for lack of better phrasing, the pop gun offense that it was last year in which everything was played within 10 yards of the line scrimmage. So this showed good self-awareness for the Dolphins. Uh, and Brian Flores, when his interview with Peter King, uh, along with Chris Greer for Football Morning in America, which came out this this past Monday night slash or Sunday night slash Monday, uh, effectively said, you know, this this is the team. You know, we they, we got guys in 2019, 2020, and 2021. This is the team that we're either going to have success with or we're not. And I thought that was really interesting hmm. because it it kind of indicated like the rebuild is over, right? Like we tore everything down at the beginning of 2019. They'll make personnel changes as available, whether that's free agency or the draft. But like part of the whole reason they went back up to six was we feel like we can compete. We feel like we're ready to compete. So we're going to be more aggressive. It's no longer hoarding draft picks and they'll be smart and they'll build through the draft, but it's everybody got all caught up in the value of going from, from 12 to six. But you know, it, that story made it very clear that they viewed that as one collective move. It was not, let's go down to 12 and then see what happens. It was, we're not going down to 12 unless we can guarantee we get back into the top 10, even at the cost of a future one. So that, that you know, Brian Flores' words there told me, uh, as far as we're concerned, the rebuild is over. It's time to compete and it's time to win. Man, uh, you said a lot of things that I would like to uh, follow up with, but um, I'll start with that idea. Right. Because they still have two first round picks in 2023. Right. So the fascinating part of that is, you know, they'll probably have a, a little bit more of a normal offseason next year where it's not as much you know, free agent dollars available and they're not going to make a, a billion picks in the top 50, but they'll still have an opportunity to add to the roster. They are projected means, for top six in cap space next year. So they do have cap space. But in 2023, if they go through these next two seasons and, and, and Tua's not the guy that can take your team, they have what it's going to take to find that quarterback in 2023. Right. So I think they have a really nice hedge. You know, I'm not saying that Tua can't be the guy, but if he's not, they're going to have a very quick opportunity to reset that position in 2023. So I really like that flexibility that they still have maintained despite kind of having that messaging of, yeah, we're, it's time to go do it. My thoughts on this draft class, man, is as a as a fan of a rival team, couldn't think of two players I, I wish you didn't get more more than Jalen Waddle and Jalen Phillips. You know what I mean? Like you said it best, those guys are difference makers. They're they're explosive playmakers. They're guys that have all the traits in the world that make them very difficult to deal with. And so um Jalen Waddle was my wide receiver one. I think he's the perfect pick for number five overall for this offense. Not just that he's worked with Tua, but it's the skill set that he brings in terms of being a, a really dangerous guy with the ball in his hands and, and a guy that's unbelievable down the field, in addition to what he can do in the return game. I mean, a, a true player you just don't want to go up against. And then Jalen Phillips, who has 
elite traits, right? I mean, like he's right there with the clownies and in, in the Miles Garretts of the world in terms of size and athleticism and what he can be. And obviously coming off of that great year at Miami and he, he comes at, at, at the edge position, right? A difference maker at a premium position in at 18 overall. That's great. I think Javon Holland makes them a lot smarter in the secondary. And that's something that I texted you after they signed McCourty because, you know, saying goodbye to Bobby McCain and bringing in Javon Holland and McCourty, you got a lot smarter. And I think a lot of the success that the Bills were able to have in some of the big plays down the field against Miami was because Bobby McCain just wasn't where he was supposed to be. So not only did you get smarter, but you got guys that have more in terms of ball skills in that secondary to take advantage of better processing. You know, I, I think Eichenberg's interesting. You know what I think about Dokes? We've talked about him. Hunter Long, I think, is a high floor tight end too. I think this is a, dra- a great draft class. And and I don't know, like last year that I saw eye to eye on every single pick that they made, but goodness gracious, there's there's hard to poke holes in what they were able to assemble this year. So real quick, my parting thought for the projected starting lineup for the Dolphins in 2021. Uh, they have 19 of their 22 are players who were drafted in the first through third rounds of the NFL draft. And 12 of those 19 have been drafted in the last three years. Oh, wow. That's how you do it. Right. That's the dream. Build through the draft. And, and like it, it, they free, the free agent signings were like, Byron Jones, former first-round pick. Will Fuller, former first-round pick. Bernard McKinney, they traded for. He was a former second-round pick. Uh, Eric Rowe, they struck gold on by trading. So, like, you're, you're literally talking about, like, Emmanuel Ogba, Matt Skura, and Miles Gaskin. Those are the, the three guys who weren't former top three picks that are projected to be starters in this, this lineup this year. Emmanuel Ogba wasn't the second-round pick? Maybe he was, and I'm just an idiot. I think, I think you need to adjust your data there, sir. I think he was definitely a, so we're uh, up to 20. He was a we're second round 20. pick. He was 32 overall. And it was the year that um, the Patriots forfeited their first round pick. So he was technically like first, a first pick, round pick. Yeah. First pick in the second round. Yeah. Okay. So, so now it's, it's 20 out of 22. And it's projected Gaskin, Gaskin and who Gaskin and Matt Skura. Skura was an undrafted free agent out of Duke in 2016. And Gaskin was a seventh round pick in 2019. So on the lexicon of positions that are not considered premium, the two guys that are not a high pick are running back and center, right? Like, yes. You- yep. <laughs> so it's, it's fun. It's, you know, draft and develop. And, and what you just got done saying with Buffalo about how they took their big step, that's obviously that's going to determine. And that was again, going back to Brian Flores, words, that's going to determine how much noise we make or how much noise we don't is the guys that are in the building now. That's such strong messaging from him, man. Yeah. You know what? Like, go do it. Dude, Dolphins fans are pretty like, I don't know what the word is to describe them, but they, I could see that fan base taking a message like that. And and you better deliver, man, because I I think that puts a lot of pressure on. Maybe expectations are high. Expectations are high. But I, I think to your point, um, they still have cat flexibility. They still have pick flexibility where if they need to change gears in one major way, shape or form, whether that's quarterback or somebody in the skill group or an offensive, like they still have assets, but it's like you're betting on when you had that level of influx over the last three years at premium picks, 
you're expecting, even if it's just law of averages and half of those guys yeah. turn into plus starters, then like, okay, okay, great. Like half your yeah. roster is plus starters now. How do you factor in Tua, right? Because the team won 10 games last year with, I would say, collectively below average quarterback play and, and Tua kind of finding his way. I think he was definitely limited by not just the scheme, but some of the talent around him with, with the injuries at the skill players and, and several rookies on the offensive line. I mean, like, how do where do we set our expectations for him? And maybe that's another podcast for another day, but like, what's a quick answer to that? Uh, I, I think the offense is going to look very different. And we don't know what that means though, right? Well, I think you look at the personnel moves that they made. Sure. And I think it tells you that, you know, they're going to push the ball a little bit more down the field. Um, Will Fuller and Jalen Waddell combined. uh, And they even brought in like Robert Foster too, as like a low end of the wide receiver room to try and push Jakeem Grant as far down the depth chart as they possibly can. And I I don't like Robert Foster, man. Yeah. Like, you know, he place him above Jakeem Grant on the death chart. That's oh, fine with for me, sure. right. you know, but like the fact that they brought in foster and they're bringing back Albert Wilson who opted out from COVID. And I'm, I understand you can't put too much into that bucket because of durability issues. It's just, I just think they're, they're probably going to stress you a lot more vertically than what they did this past year, where everything was just horizontal spread. And you think about, the 2018 Alabama offense with Loxley and how much they took their shots down the field, attacking the seam, attacking deep posts. And like, that's kind of my expectation is what this offense is going to look like is they're going to try to be that kind of offense and create more explosive plays. And either two is going to do it or he's not, but I'm encouraged that he's been working with his receivers and, you know, privately all off season and throwing sessions and stuff down in South Florida and, Will Fuller said when he signed, he said, you know, I got to finish up my, my uh, uh, training that I'm doing here right now. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm heading down to Miami and I'm going to be playing catch with two and, and the guys. So we'll see how it goes. But I, I definitely think, you know, Tua has a high bar to meet to meet fan expectations. And based on what the expectations are for the team with the rebuild and how it was set in place, uh, the Dolphins will probably have a very strong vested interest over the next year to two years to make sure it goes off or doesn't. And if it doesn't, then like you said, you've got two first round picks in 2023. If that things don't materialize, obviously it's a dream. If he, he plays his expectations and now you got two first round picks to spend on toys, but seems like a, a bad time to be a Preston Williams uh, fantasy owner. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Ready for the Patriots. Yeah. Let's do the Patriots. Right. You want me to read through them? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I got it. I got it. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Right. Cool. 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 Uh, number 15, Mac Jones, quarterback, Alabama, 38, Christian Barmore, defensive tackle from Alabama, 96, an edge, Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma, at 120, running back, Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma, 177, linebacker, Cameron McGrone from Michigan, 188, Josh Bledsoe, safety from Missouri, 197, Will Sherman, an offensive tackle from Colorado. And then at pick 242, wide receiver Trey Nixon from UCF. It's a good class. If you take it at 38 down, I love what they did. Yeah. I love I what they did. Traded up for Barmore. They, they got Barmore. Obviously, the connection was saving in Belichick. If anybody's going to light a fire on him, it'll be Bill. Put him in the best <laughs> position to, sure. to, to play to his potential. Yep. Perkins at 96 is. Good fit. 
good fit and good value, right? Yep. Uh, Stevenson at 120, good fit and good value. Mm-hmm. McGrone at 177, good fit, amazing value. <laughs> Joshua Bledsoe at 188, good fit, amazing value. Like we, we had top 100 grades on both of those guys. Yeah. Patriots in this class got five guys that we had top 100 grades on us from the collective TDN top 100. And it's not like they had tons of premium draft picks. They just right. kind of had like a normal amount of 15, picks. 38 and 96 were their first right. three picks. Right. I mean, I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory what happened here after the Mac Jones pick. I, there's a lot to love about all those players. Obviously, this draft class will hinge on Mac Jones and, and his ability to come in and be the answer at quarterback for the New England Patriots. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's been a long time since they were faced with finding a, a, a new answer at quarterback, and they've they've decided on Mac Jones, who we've talked a lot about on this podcast. And I guess the big appeal here is the the accuracy, the decision-making, the processing, the, the season he had last year at Alabama and, and how the coaches talk about his football intelligence and his ability to execute, you know, and so that's what, that's what new England's counting on him to be able to come in and, and do that. Now the, the question marks come in when you watch Mac Jones and you see a very pedestrian physical skill set, whether it's mobility, whether it's arm strength and you watch, you watch the NFL today and you see these dynamic young quarterbacks. They're not like Mac Jones. They're guys that can move. They're guys that can get to the second play and, and work off schedule and make things happen outside of structure. So you know, it puts a lot on Mac to, to be able to kind of be the zag while everyone's zigging and, um, you know, be, be able to execute this offense. And, you know, I think, I think there's going to come, there's going to become plays where the collapses, the pockets collapsing around him and the routes don't get open like he wanted to. And he's going to have to do something. He's going to have to find some arm strength. He's going to have to find some mobility. And I don't think he has it. So, you know, if, they took a gamble on, on him being able to be this high-level processor to come in and just, you know, carve up secondaries. And I, I have my reservations about that, but, you know, he gets a chance to prove it or not. So I guess that's the biggest fascination with um, the Mac Jones pick is what the Patriots offense with Cam Newton is going to look like. What are you going to have to take off the menu? when you make the transition to Mac Jones. Uh, and I think it's a pretty significant amount of the run game, right? Like they'll still have their, their gap power and run between the tackles and they, they got plenty of physicality at the back position. But I thought what the Patriots did best last year, oftentimes was the QB run dynamics mm-hmm. with zone read and QB power and power suite and like all that stuff. And you're not going to run any of that with Mac Jones, right? So is this something where we, we are willing to mid-season take portions of the menu off that we don't think Mac's going to be well-served to run? Is he in a redshirt situation? If he's in a redshirt situation, does that make it a really you know savvy pick when you consider they're in win-now mentality with how much money they spent in free agency? It's, there's just a lot there that it's like I, I don't really – I'm almost expecting him to play because they're in win now mentality and they drafted him and he's perceived to be this super smart guy who can pick up the playbook and so on and so forth. But if he does play, you're going to take away dynamics that are on the table for you when can play. So 
that's the big conflict for me with, with Mac and, and what it's going to look like when he steps in the lineup. The thing about cam is it feels like most of the seasons recently, there's come a point in time where it just kind of breaks down, right? The ball's just not getting to the landmarks. He just seems beat up. And so is it a situation where you ride that cam train as long as you can, but when you see that sign of, all right, this is, this is going to, this is going to end poorly. All right, Mike, Mac Jones, you're in, and we got to kind of pivot here because I, I don't think cam's really proven that he's going to be available and be able to execute at a high level for the whole season, especially a 17 game season. So, does that set the Patriots offense back when they make that transition? Well, I guess, I, think, I guess maybe they make that decision when it's like, it can't get, it can't get any worse than what we have passing the ball right now. That's, and that's the point you kind of said earlier that the best thing about the Patriots offense with cam was the running back dynamics. And I think people would say, well, the worst thing was when he threw the football. And so you, you upgrade the part where the ball gets thrown, right? It, it, you get better results. Hopefully I think that's the plan here, but um. I think this draft class is obviously going to hinge on, on Mac Jones, but I certainly love everything else they were able to accomplish. So let me ask you this before we move on to the jets. Um, is there any chance in your mind that these free agent spendings for new England end up turning out like how many times the team that has quote unquote one free agency uh, has where it's it the players don't materialize it's too many new pieces or it's too many players in different positions or you, know, you think about the Patriots and the offense and they're they're renowned for their cerebral offensive playbook and and cerebral defensive playbook and you know these guys having to learn all this in one year and one offseason having not played in it before like this draft class is going to be fine regardless uh, but I don't know you know, how much you can rely on these guys in 2021. And they shouldn't be relying on these guys in 2021 with how much money they spent to bring other guys into the fray here. But just kind of curious what your thought is from the Patriots from a big picture perspective. You know, we, we so often still treat Bill as like super infallible because of all the team success that he's had. But, you know, they, they Tom Brady was giving them discounts for years. Yep, They still end up in the salary cap hell that they were in last off season in which they kind of used it as the reset year that they needed uh, because they couldn't hit with draft picks. So I don't know where, where your head's at with that, but that's kind of just something that's kind of in the back of my mind here. As I look at this Patriots team, it's like, yeah, I could see this thing going really, really well. But if you were to try and not poke holes in it, but if you were going to be more skeptical of new England bouncing back in such a big way, what would it be rooted in? I think you have fair concerns and I think given where Bill Belichick is in his career and certainly not wanting to go out with, you know, kind of average mediocre below average seasons while Tom Brady's out competing for Super Bowls with Tampa Bay and winning Super Bowls with Tampa Bay. I think that they had to accelerate the rebuild, right? They weren't able to really kind of, stockpile assets and, and be specific with the plan. They had to go and kind of have a blitz approach to getting meaningful veterans back on this roster and 
hoping to hit on some draft picks because Bill Belichick is probably not going to coach for too much longer. You know, I don't, I think it could be a few more seasons, but you know, the reality is I just don't think that embracing like a responsible rebuild, like we've seen, you know, Miami go through or, you know, even what it seems like the jets are doing now, like he couldn't, he couldn't do that. He didn't have time for that. So it it's aggressive. We've seen, we've seen this fail a lot. Um, but I think the dynamics that in the context of the situation kind of precluded that from happening and, and we'll see, we'll see if it works. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online, get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and the UFC. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use our promo code locked on. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Need to tell you guys about Bill Bart's, the best tasting protein bar on the planet. So many amazing flavors. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. It's like eating a candy bar, but it is good for you. Bill Bars are great for anyone who is health conscious, whether you want to lose weight, maintain weight, weight. or just indulge in a delicious treat. You have to get your hands on some Bill Bars. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and great for anyone on the keto diet. We've got a deal for you. Go to BillBar.com and use that promo code LOCK15. You'll get 15% 15. off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BillBar.com. LOCK15. So it's time to talk about the New York Jets. The gosh darn Jets, as they say. Is that really a thing? The GD Jets. Oh, yeah, that's – isn't that a Rex Ryan thing? No, no, that was a GD snack. Let's go go have a oh, GD snack. Oh, snack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Chris. Hello. Hello. Um, do you have the sheet up? I do. Would you like to read through the Jets wow, picks? Wow, that's an honor that I don't know if I, I'm worthy of. This is your guys' thing. You guys read the draft Oh, uh, okay. That's okay. I just wanted to make it available. No, I, I appreciate that's it, cool, but this is your cool. thing. I think Joe would like it more if he had a couple of third round picks there at 66 and 86, but that's all right here. We'll, we'll do a quarterback, Zach Wilson, BYU at number two overall Uh, at 14, a trade up Elijah Vera Tucker into your offensive lineman or offensive lineman. You played offensive tackle last year. If that helps you with your valuation of the the player at that point in the draft, Joe Uh, USC at 14, Elijah Moore, wide receiver from Ole Miss at 34, looked good during the rookie mini camp. So I know everybody was losing their minds because he did a little toe drag swag there at the top of the route, stem on and out. Uh, Michael Carter, 107, running back, North Carolina. Safety, Jamie and Sherwood, listed as a linebacker when they put the card in from Auburn. Oh, really? 146. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Carter, the other Michael Carter, uh, corner from Duke at 154. Jason Pinnock, corner from Pittsburgh at 175. Hamsa Nasser Ledeen, safety, Florida State, 186. Brandon Eagles, corner, Kentucky, 200. Jonathan Marshall, interior defensive lineman, Arkansas, 207. The end. I, I, I really like I really like what Joe Douglas did with his first 
three picks after Zach Wilson to build around Zach Wilson immediately with guys that I think can actually matter for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker, outstanding offensive lineman, number 14 overall prospect on my board. I'm a big fan of Elijah Vera Tucker. He, he can immediately be a starter for them at guard and make sure that the pressure that could come in the face of Zach Wilson is limited. And that's one of the concerns that I have about Wilson and his transition from BYU to the Jets is that this dude was comfortable behind an elite offensive line at BYU against, you know, lesser level competition. And he was able to be comfortable and use that dynamic arm to make a lot of plays. I think Elijah Vera Tucker will limit some of that pressure he's going to face in his face in the NFL. Elijah Moore, very practical guy to insert to this offense, a three-level threat, really good slot receiver. He can get open. There's no doubt in my mind that he's going to be a dynamic route runner, and he's super competitive at the catch point. I think he's the perfect type of slot receiver to give Zach Wilson. And then the running back, Michael Carter out of North Carolina, the best thing about him is his ability to catch the football. And so for Zach Wilson, who I think is going to go through his lumps a little bit early on to figure out what he can and cannot get away with in the NFL, knowing that he has a check down option like Michael Carter in the backfield is going to be very good for his process. So I love how Joe Douglas got the quarterback that he wanted. And then those next three picks were very practical in terms of how they can help Zach Wilson right away. So I, I'm a big fan of that. We'll, we'll get to the trade. I, I do think that's a, it's aggressive to give up 66 and 86 to move up for Vera Tucker for a guard. I recognize the player that Vera Tucker is, but my big questions about this football team at, at corner still remain. And I think that's what they said. The opportunity cost was we love a Vera Tucker. We think he's going to be a stud for us right away. And we're going to do that at the expense of helping out our cornerback room, which I think is the worst in football right now. Well, yeah, that's that's true. I agree with that. But I think the important thing to remember here is this is year one of a team that has loaded up on draft picks like so many other teams um, in recent memory who, to, who did the aggressive rebuild. And if we're being honest, the Jets probably aren't going to be very good this year. They got young talent. They got a lot of new bodies. Uh, they still have a bunch of future assets to work with. They're going to have rookie on the offensive line. They're arguably their top pass catcher is going to be uh, a rookie, depending on what you think of Corey Davis and his ceiling. Uh, you got a rookie quarterback uh, defensively. You're, you're still kind of a hot mess, right? Like the jets aren't going to be good this year. So you might as well just kind of like take your L's understand where you're at and get the best resources you can around you. So that's why I support this move from New York because you know, Vera Tucker is going to give Zach Wilson as much benefit as anybody they could have picked at that juncture in the draft. And that will make Zach Wilson better. And the better Zach Wilson is that will then have a waterfall cascading effect that raises the entire team two years from now when he's the best version of himself, that his development is going to allow him to be. And the jets have actually addressed the rest of the roster. I think it's important to, to identify two different things here, understanding why the move was made and liking Elijah Vera Tucker as a player. I think we can all identify the logic there and understand why from a draft value perspective, when we always talk about teams ability to find good starting NFL guards throughout the draft, and then parting with two premium picks to go get it. I think we can bring into question the value of a move like that. And so I think, I think we have to separate those two things because 
I think that's it goes into play. And you make a good point there. I mean, you how many rookies can you play? How many rookies can you have? They have tons of draft picks in coming years. So go get guys that you believe in. Like, I definitely understand it. From the value perspective, that's where my question marks come into play. So we going to play the game with the trade value chart? Is it something we're interested in doing? If you would like to, yeah. No, I'm sure. just, I'm, I, I have not ever taken the time to look it up. I so haven't either, curious. no. Yeah, I, I was right. hoping I don't have that information. So 14 is worth 1,100 points, according to the Jimmy Johnson model, right? Uh, 23 is worth 760, so it's a difference of 340 points. 66 is worth 260 points. So now you're talking about a discrepancy of not a math guy, uh, 80 points, 80 points, yes, 80 points. And then 86 was the other pick that they gave up. Mm -hmm. That was 160. So they overpaid by 80 points, which is the equivalency of an early fourth round pick 107 overall was what they quote unquote overpaid to move up. But I think it's hard when you're doing these trades to be the one that's trying to move up and not pay in surplus to what the trade value chart says. Because you have to give a team an incentive to move down, right? It says if we get equal value to what we have, why wouldn't we just stay and pick the better player? We need more than what the pick is worth. So... I don't think it's egregious, especially when you consider they moved up into the first half of the first round. Uh, but I also wouldn't sleep on Vera Tucker's positional versatility and the value he brings as an offensive lineman to play in front of Zach Wilson for a team that has no offensive lineman other than Mackay Becton that I feel really good about in the long term. So um, I'm still good with it. And yeah. I understand the, the, the overpay aspect of it too from a trade value chart perspective. I guess this is the practical application that I could attribute here. So you sit there at 21. Is that what it was? 20, 23, was it? 23, 23. You sit there at 23. You pick Greg Newsom. at 66. You pick Wyatt Davis and you still have 86 where you could get another offensive lineman, whether that's Ben Cleveland or Spencer Brown or Kendrick green. You know what I mean? Like that's where I, I, that's well, where you I get Kendrick hung up. Green, you would have to get him. at 86 because he went at 87 to Pittsburgh. That's what I'm, but I'm saying those opportunities were there. That's a practical application. So I'm not saying that you didn't get a meaningful player in Elijah Vera Tucker. I just think that you could have got better at two spots if you could have, if you would have played it differently, but. Well, you won't play that game. They could, they could have taken Darisaw at 23 and then correct. take and then take into your offensive line. Right. Then they could have done Melifonwu and Wyatt Davis. But, and but, then they get really <laughs> a lot but, better looking than I, than what they had but their board told them this was a top 10 player in the class. And it very clearly told you that they felt as though the value after Vera Tucko on the inside was not good. And they wanted right. an asset there. They didn't want serviceable players. They didn't want guys we had third round grades on. They wanted an asset. That's, that's the fine. conversation we can have about any draft pick that we ever criticize. Like you can apply that logic to any thing that we don't like. And it's like, okay, well that team didn't like that player. So your idea is not good. They liked what they had. They didn't see it the same way as you. They believed in what they had. They trust the process. Right. They get a gold star. Like, and time will tell, well, time will tell right. if it's a gold star or right. not. But I mean, I, I guess for, for me, and I, and I mean, I'm like, it's, we, we work hard on this, right? We work, we've been working on this damn class since May 
If we can't, I think we've earned the right to have opinions about the players and how teams invest the resources. Oh, for sure. And and so because of that, it's like, yeah, I hear you, Joe Douglas. Like, yeah, all that stuff's great, but the way that I see it is different. It's wild to me that you were higher on Vera Tucker than I am. And I'm defending this decision. Right. I've said all I can say about the opportunity cost. And (laughs) I mean, I don't know what else to say, man. I get it. I get it. (laughs) But this, I guess the last thing I would leave you with is this. If you, if Vera Tucker ends up being the player that you believed he was right. Mm -hmm. Is he a, not just a plus starter. Is he a difference maker on the jets offense? Yeah, but here's, here's how I would answer that. Also, if Greg Newsom and Wyatt Davis and some of these other players become the player that I think that they could be, they would be a lot better in multiple spots. You know what I mean? Like, so if if, if it goes back to the way that I perceive the corner in next year, yeah, they, they, what, look, if they I, I, what if they end up getting Daryl Stingley? Listen, then if, if then it goes back to what you said, our expectations should be low for the jets. The reason they're they're they weren't going to win any more games this year based on going with the plan that I had versus what they did. So if we're just going to buy into the jets are just going to be a bad football team this year and they'll be able to answer those questions in time. It still doesn't change the opportunity cost and value proposition that I, I think matters in this conversation. Well, and I, I'm not, I, Chris, I don't know how you feel, but I don't expect the jets to be particularly good this year. To me, I'm, I'm, I'm just to make it clear. I'm on Kyle's side of this argument. Uh, I have zero issue with what they gave up and I, I have, no problems with it whatsoever because it's Joe Douglas understanding where they are in their cycle. They have five picks inside the top 100 next year, two first, two seconds and a third. So if, if they have problems at corner, which I expect them to, they have five picks to where if they get the rest of this, right, if these first four picks pan out the way we think they will, they kind of got the offense on a really good course and they can invest all five of those picks in focusing on the defensive side of the ball. And I know this isn't exactly how this works, but the other thing is, Two of those picks, 23 and 86, weren't theirs to begin with. They, they like That's Jamal Adams, who's not playing for them anymore. So I'm okay with giving that stuff up because you got that from a player who didn't want to be there anyway. And so now you've accumulated this draft capital. You didn't really go into your war chest of capital that you had for 2022 and beyond. You used the other stuff that you had to go up and get a player that you had in your top 10. And Joe, I, I get your logic, but under that logic, Teams can never go up to get a guy that they value very highly because they're always going to give up too much. And that's the problem I have. Joe Douglas thought this was a top 10 player, so he gave up something to go get a top 10 player. It's that simple for me. Two things I would say in response to that. Number one, your point about Joe Douglas being aware of where they are in their life cycle. I think I you knew this was coming. That. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the low-hanging fruit. Like, okay, you're going to be a bad football team. You have lots of needs. Get as many good young players as you possibly but can. But, Joe, how many times over the last week or, t- or, or two when we've been doing these draft classes, we've destroyed teams for not drafting where they are in their life cycle? It's come up a bunch. This is an well, example of a team understanding where they are. I would say that. I would argue that this is the opposite of that. The opposite Joe, of Joe's going to tell you that if you're in the early portions of your draft in your life cycle as a franchise and you're hitting the reset button, then you need to draft for volume. You, don't, you need more picks, not less, even if it's oh, an ex- a, a good player in Vera Tucker. So I could tell you that's where Joe's going to counter and say, right. You know, pick for volume. That's more important. They made three picks inside the top 35. They would have done that regardless of the trade. Well, and I'll also say this is that I, I am rarely for trading up unless it's a quarterback. 
And if I'm going to trade up, it's definitely not going to be for an interior offensive lineman. And I think that's kind of where some of my, some of my spirit behind the way I feel about this, it stems from the scouting staff's reaction to this, where I feel like we've had long, honest conversations about the valuation of interior offensive linemen. And we see a team at this point in its life cycle trade up for an interior offensive lineman. And everyone's like, oh, this is great. They got a great player. And I'm like, are we just going to ignore the last year of conversations we had about the opportunity to find interior offensive linemen throughout the course of the draft? And we're just going to celebrate this because but we like Elijah tackle. He can play tackle. He's not playing tackle for this team. He could. I don't he's know. He's physically man. capable of playing tackle. I just feel and like there's so not, much inconsistency in the high. argument. The, the, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say about this. I, I, I'm not, not going to. There's nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> the Jets drafted other players that we should probably talk about. I mean, they did. They took three swings at cornerback in, in uh, Michael Carter, Jason Pinnock, and Brandon Eccles, all guys with, with a lot of athleticism, which, you know, is a good idea if you're going to take swings on corners, get guys that can run and turn, and uh, that's important. And um, obviously, I'm a big fan of the Nasser Dean pick, um, coming in and giving them a, a versatile Safety. We saw uh, Jarkiski Tart and the success that he had with Robert Sala uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. And I'm not saying Nasser Dean's Tart, but, you know, that bigger safety type player, I think that he'll have a chance to, to turn into something for them. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think they'll have a lot more work to do on the defensive side of the ball. I like that they committed all of their, their first four picks to the offensive side of the ball with a quarterback being at the top of that list. Joe, I know you mentioned that already. Uh, but if I'm a Jets fan, I'm, I'm not marrying myself to any one of these corners or defensive backs or defensive players that they took in the fifth round or later because um, right. they went in the fifth round or later for a reason, first of all. And second of all, uh, you're going to aspire to want to have better players than that. So, you know, maybe you hit the jackpot and you hit, hit the lottery with one of these guys who outperforms expectations, but – these guys might play this year out of necessity, but right. as the Jets, <laughs> as the Jets grow and their roster matures and they get deeper into their rebuild, this is part of that same natural life cycle that we talked about. Those fun players who were young and scrappy and stepped in the lineup and took a lot of reps and showed they had a little something, but never could quite sustain it week over week over week. Those are the guys that get marginalized and eventually pushed off the roster. And that's kind of my expectations for a lot of the day three defensive players that they drafted. And, you know, Robert Sala has been a terrific defensive coordinator in the NFL, and he's done it with a lot of injuries, right? He's been able to get production from guys like Emmanuel Mosley and, and even Okello Witherspoon at times. And Dre Greenlaw turned into a player from them after being kind of mm-hmm. a later round pick out of Arkansas. What I think he's outperformed what we expected. And so uh, I, I'm anxious to see what Sala can do with, what I think is an undermanned defensive depth chart, you know, like, should we, should we give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit here and see what he can do? You know, no real difference makers on the defense. I know that, you know, they got Carl Lawson and Sheldon Rankins and CJ Mosley coming back. Marcus May is a good player, but the rest is kind of pieced together. And I'm anxious to see what, uh, what he's able to do with this group. For sure. Any other thoughts, Chris, on the Jets? Joe on the Jets. This is a good draft class, and I'm not going to stand for Joe slandering. Didn't slander it. I didn't slander. I like Elijah Vera Tucker. He's a good player. I, I, I don't know if you can't see my side of the coin. I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I don't. I'm not sp- saying anything that's like hot takey or like. No, you're not. I just in ideas. You know, like. And I'm not saying I like. I, I don't understand where you're coming from. I, I just 
I just don't see it that way. Like I just, I, I that's sure. not the approach I'm taking with where this team is and what I expected from them going into the draft. Like even on draft, like I wasn't up, like I have never at once been upset. Like, Oh, gave up too much for a really good player. Like, Oh, sucks to suck. You know, like I just, I just had no point. It felt that way. If we can find some common ground, the jets moved from 23 to 14 and gave up eight, uh, 66 and 86. The saints for Marcus Davenport to go from 27 to 14. They gave up a first round pick the following year. So we can, we can reunite over that slander. There you go. There you go. That's all we need. We're done here. Well, Kyle, are you going to tell us the, the, we got to rank them. We got to rank them. And you've been uh, hoarding this statistic about how these, we know that two of your top five draft classes are in this division. Well, not not necessarily top five, but top five in accordance with my personal set of rankings. Yeah, we need to know what those are. Okay. Uh, so before well, you do that, this is how I stack. This is how I stack. Mm. Miami's one, Buffalo is four. Really? Yeah. It's 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 easy to marginalize the Bills class, especially when. I like what the Jets did, and and outside of the Mac Jones pick, I love what the Patriots did. Correct. I'll go Miami, New York, New England, Buffalo. I have the the Patriots are fifth in accordance with my personal set of rankings. Okay, but two two is Miami. Two is Miami. Uh, But it's it's like man, like I like what the Jets it's the quarterback thing for me that like, if I'm just going to sit here and rank them in order, like, can I get past New England spending 15 on Mac Jones? You and, shouldn't, you should not. He's third round grade, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I think when you take context into it and this one thing about the, this exercise that I don't like is it does not weight the picks that are higher at a higher rate. Yeah. Uh, it, it's strictly like a one-to-one number ratio it's more important for you to get good, good value with your early picks, right? Like that's something that I've wrestled with is so uh, I did not do that with this exercise is that was not what was called for when Daniel and Jeremiah put it out there. So if I factored for what happened early, I will put the jets at two. I will go dolphins, jets, Patriots, bills. As far as how I like the classes, I like all four classes for where they're at respectively as teams. Uh, but I love the Dolphins class. I thought New England and New York both did very well for where they were at. And I thought the Bills did what they could with what they had at their disposal to try and find the best long-term value with their picks. Okay. We've done it, Kyle. We've talked about every team's draft class. And to no surprise, this is the longest episode. Of yeah, the- we knew this was going to happen. Yeah. Well, how much time, genuine question, how much time do we sink into Legends of the Hidden Tem- Temple app before we started? Just as much as it probably ended up being the runtime of this show. Okay, so about half of it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, sick. Well, we better get on the show then. Balls in your court, legends of the Hidden Temple. You have our, you have our information, right? You, you have my information. So hit us up. It's a super bad reference for anybody who's familiar. I have your information at the very end of the movie when they're at the mall and they go their separate ways. I've never seen the movie. Let's just get out of here so we don't have to do this on the show here today. I, and I don't know if Joe's seen it, so let's just get out of here and let's just move on. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, Chris Schubert. Thanks as always for listening to the Draft Dudes Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again tomorrow.